0: I want to welcome you, as uh, Jordan did earlier in the service on this Independence Day weekend, as we do remember the privilege and the blessing that it is to live in the country that we do. Uh, Even though there may be imperfections, it's still really the greatest nation on earth as we see the freedom that we enjoy to be able to worship the Lord as we should. Uh, and to do so without persecution uh, that is directed at us uh, as many believers around the world find themselves facing all kinds of cruelty uh, for their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, before we uh, open up the Word of God together this morning and uh, take a, a little bit of uh, a time to review a few things from last week, we find ourselves in part two of Judging Rightly. Um, let's just go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this new day. And Lord, as we do remember the significance of this weekend, as yesterday was July the 4th, as we recognize our independence, uh, Lord, that came uh, as uh, something that came at great cost uh, to many before us. Uh, and Lord, as we uh, remember the fact that uh, freedom is not free that it does cost uh, and we can see that not only in our nation as we enjoy uh, the fact that we can meet together as we are not only here locally but as those that are meeting over the internet and enjoying the fact that they can worship uh, in their homes and to enjoy worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Uh, that uh, we have an even greater independence that we have received through your son, Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself once for all, uh, so that through faith and trust in him and his finished work on Calvary uh, and the fact that you raised him from the dead, that we too can have eternal life uh, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, and given us the independence, uh, the freedom from being slaves to sin. Uh, And Lord, we do thank you for that, and as we open up your word together this morning, we ask that you would be honored by all that's said and done, that you would challenge us through your eternal word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, uh, last Sunday we began a three-part section here in in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to go ahead and open up if you haven't already. Uh, but I'd like to take just a few moments to review a, a couple of things, just in case you weren't with us last time, uh, but also, to just to refresh our memory and give us that foundation as we take a little bit deeper look into the text this morning uh, for us to remember uh, the beginning of the text. Uh, and I'll reread for you verse 1 where it says, Judge not that you be not judged. And as we took a look last time at the context, not only here in Matthew chapter 7, uh, but also taking in consideration the, the entirety of the Word of God and what it says in relation to uh, judging or discerning uh, what is right, uh, we made a couple of declarative statements in relation to what Jesus uh, was speaking out against. And it's important for us to make sure that we remember that uh, as we not only take a look at the remainder of this text, but also engage uh, the world in which we live, because we do live in a a day and age where we do need to biblically judge where things are. Uh, The first thing that we took a look at uh, last time was that Jesus is speaking out against hypocritical and self-righteous judging of people. Uh, and as you remember, Jesus was speaking out against the religious leaders uh, who were very self-righteous, that were very hypocritical in what they uh, uh, did as opposed to even what they said and, and called on the people to do. Uh, hypocritical in the fact that they took God's law and added to it, thinking that they, they themselves were the authority uh, and in trying to, in their minds, protect God's law, Actually ended up adding to it and changing it into something that it is not. Second, Jesus is speaking out against people who do what only God should do in relation to passing judgment on other people. Uh, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders did that very thing. Uh, they took upon themselves to to add to god 's commandments. Uh, and then as a result of their self-righteousness and their hypocrisy uh, ended up looking at the rest of the people uh, and, and making sure that they were filling or if they weren't filling uh, all those extra things that they added to God's law uh, that they would call them out on it and judge them accordingly. A few things that Jesus is not uh, commanding us to do uh, is uh, in this text, and as we take a look at this passage, is that Jesus is not commanding us to never judge a situation or an individual. Uh, when it says, judge not that you be not judged, and as we found out last time, uh, many people quote this, uh, whether they're believers or not. Uh, but it is taken out of context and, and oftentimes for the purpose of people saying, well, you have no right to judge me at all. Uh, and Jesus is not commanding us to never judge. He's not telling us, as we'll find out today, to not discern, to, to look at things and through a biblical lens and decide how we should respond, how we should act, whether we should engage or disengage. Uh, that is not what Jesus is, is calling us to do. He's not saying, do not judge a situation or an individual. Uh, if anything, the complete opposite is true. Jesus is also not commanding us to never form an opinion of the conduct of others. Uh, you know, as we take a look at ourselves first, and we, we utilize the Word of God as, uh, our, our marker, our standard as, by which we live, uh, we are not to not just look at the rest of the world and decide, uh, that, well, we'll just leave them alone and that's, that's all there is. Uh, that's far from the truth as well, uh, because as we've already found out in the Sermon on the Mount, we are supposed to be salt and light. Uh, and in order for us to be salt and light, Uh, Not only do we need to know the word of God, but the purpose in that is for us to take a look at the world around us and see what things that we, we should be reflecting in relation to our walk with the Lord to a lost and fallen world that needs Jesus Christ. Then lastly, Jesus is not commanding us to accept the proverbial lock, stock, and barrel of every person's thoughts and actions as well as every situation and its surroundings. That's not what Jesus is advocating here as he says, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, And as we're going to find out today, uh, we're going to take a look at discerning what is right. Uh, and we're, we're supposed to take a look at the world. We're supposed to take a look at, well, first, not only God to see him as he is from the scriptures, but also to take a look at ourselves through that lens to see who God is and who we should be as a result of being those that have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But also taking that same uh, lens and taking a look at the world as a whole to see how we're supposed to engage, how we're supposed to uh, to integrate uh, so that we are still giving God the honor, the praise, and the glory and living as we should in a sinful day and age. Uh, and so as we take a look at uh, our passage a little bit deeper this morning, that gives us our, our background. And it's important for us to, to know uh, what we are are getting ready to walk into. Um, you'll, as we finished out our time, there was three things that I reminded you of in relation to uh, God who is the judge. Uh, he is the one who is over all. He is the one to whom everyone must give an account. And we listed off three things. Uh, one was that only God is holy, righteous, and just in all his ways. We took a look at a couple different scriptures to, uh, to support that, uh, and as we take a look at the world in which we live, this is the reason why we need to make sure that the Word of God is part of who we are, um, because when we go at it through our own maybe upbringing, through our own lenses, through our own convictions, things that may not be of a biblical nature, then there is a strong possibility uh, that we will not be righteous and just in all of our ways, Two, only God knows and sees all. Uh, and as we, we think about who God is, and we're going to take a look a little bit more about how balanced a judge he is today um, and has been for all of eternity, uh, we have to understand that when God judges a situation, he has every little bit of information he needs to be able to be righteous and just. He is not lacking in knowledge. He's not gaining knowledge. He isn't going to make a mistake. His understanding is not going to be flawed. Uh, His wisdom will be perfect and true and holy and righteous as he is. And finally, number three was only God is the lawgiver and judge. Uh, Again, remembering who God is is of utmost importance. Because as you look at the world, the world has a skewed, messed up picture of who God is, even if they believe that there's a God at all. Uh, and so we as believers, as we take a look at the word of God together, we need to make sure that that is all part uh, of who we are uh, as we take a look at it. And and as we wrapped up last time, anyone uh, who wrongly takes God's place as the judge is going to have to answer to God. He's going to have to answer or she's going to have to answer to the judge in relation to how uh, they acted, thought, reacted, uh, and responded to whatever the situation may be. With that as our background, Um, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit here. Um, We're going to take a look at an example of unjust judgment from the Word of God this morning. Uh, And we're also going to take a look at verse 2 of Matthew chapter 7. And then we're going to wrap it all together with a a very pertinent illustration uh, as we close our time together. So, discerning what is right. As everything we just got done reviewing... And as we think about Jesus Christ, as he's preaching this sermon to all these people that are within earshot of him, what Jesus is pointing out is the importance of not taking the place of God in judgment. Uh, and, And although that's the case, we should still wisely discern what is right. And I'm going to give you some biblical support for that. Matter of fact, uh, as we take a look uh, next time, um, right here in a few verses, Jesus is going to give us a a perfect example of why we need to be able to discern, why we need to be able to judge situations or individuals uh, in relation to how things are. Uh, Matter of fact, let's just go ahead and take a look at that. If you're there in Matthew chapter 7, uh, take a look at verse 6. Uh, because in verse 6, uh, Jesus is pointing out, or I'm sorry, Jesus is, himself is dis- calling for us to discern those who are hostile towards the kingdom of God. And we're going to take a look and unpack this a little bit. It may be a little bit uh, uh, difficult to understand just reading it, uh, but next time we'll, we'll unpack it completely. But it is here a call for for us to discern those who are hostile towards the kingdom of God when he says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So how do you know who is a dog and who is a pig? You have to be able to discern. You have to have something to take a look at and be able to ascertain these particular types of imagery that Jesus is giving in order for us to know to not give them what is that which is holy uh, and that which can be trampled underfoot. Uh, and so as we will we, we'll look at that next time, you'll understand a little bit better, but this is a call for discernment. And then if you take a look, even in chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, uh, Jesus even points out a, a few verses later the importance of discerning those who are false prophets. Listen to what it says. It says, beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Okay, now we won't get to that verse for a couple of weeks, but you'll notice it says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, how can you recognize them if you're not first taking and looking and, and, and trying to discern whether or not they are what they say they are? Because if you take a look at it, it says they are sheep's clothing or wolves in sheep's clothing. So they're, they're, they're hiding themselves. And so how do you take and consider what they are unless you have something that you can use as a gauge to, to take a look at them, to discern whether or not they're a false prophet or not? Well, that's because you, you need to, and we'll, we'll speak more about that in uh, next time as well as weeks to come. But let's go to a couple examples outside of, of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, hold your finger here in Matthew chapter 7 and turn over to Romans chapter 12. Um, you may not even need to turn there because you probably have these verses memorized. But after Paul, you know, in, in writing this letter to uh, the church at Rome, says, You know, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, he says in verse 2 of chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So right here, we're called on to discern the will of God. And, you know, we could have an entire series in relation to how do you know the will of God for you? Uh, but the point being is that we, we have to be able to discern somehow. We have to take a, and look at ourselves and judge whether or not uh, we are living as we should. Uh, and, again, that always starts first with us uh, to make sure. And, and we'll find out next time because, you know, we've got to make sure that we're not trying to take a speck out of someone else's eye when we have a log in our own. Another picture that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Another example takes us to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Because we are called to discern what is excellent, pure, and blameless. Listen to what it says in verses 9 and following. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory uh, and praise of God. So right there, uh, you know, Paul, as he's writing this letter to uh, the church at Philippi, his prayer for them is that they may abound in love more and more with knowledge and discernment. So Paul's prayer for the church there is that they would actually gain knowledge so that they may be able to discern not only where they stand before God and how they're living for God to the world around them, but also to be able to discern, uh, for example, if someone were to come in with some type of false doctrine as a false teacher. Uh, and the only way that happens is, is the more we saturate ourselves with the word of God, what the word of God does, with, you know, something that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, is it changes me first. And then in changing me, it helps me to be able to see things as God sees them and not see them through a sinful eye, you know, or a self-righteous eye or a hypocritical eye, uh, as the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. One more example. Uh, We are called uh, to love rightly or to, I'm sorry, we are called to in love rightly bring people to repentance. That takes us to the book of James chapter 5. Isn't it interesting that, you know, as we've, we've been doing this study here in the Sermon on the Mount, and I never realized the connections until, uh, you know, I began preparing just how much the Word of God, you know, as we went through the book of James together, how it ties into exactly what we're talking about in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not. Because God's Word uh, is is perfect in all of its ways. It says in verse 19, uh, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, see, in relation to this, this may not actually use the word discerning, but the thing is, is that first you need to know the truth of God. The truth of God needs to be in your heart, in your life, and you're living that truth outwardly. And what that can do as you engage and are living like you should, God will give you opportunities not to tear somebody down and, and, and make yourself feel better being hypocritical or self-righteous, but for the point of bringing someone back. And in particularly, this is speaking to a, a brother in the Lord, to bring them back. Because maybe they're walking away from the Lord. Maybe they're quenching the spirit and, and walking in a way that does not honor God. And God may give you the ability uh, to, to very gently uh, allowing God to actually do the work of calling them back as you live the truth, as you speak the truth in love for the purpose of, of reconciling and bringing that relationship back to the w- where it should be. Uh, and so God gives us the ability even through that to ascertain uh, if someone's wandering or not, you know, this is why the scripture speaks a lot to us examining ourselves because we can wander. We are prone to it. Uh, as, uh, as if you listen to the Psalm 119 study, if it was, I think it was this past week that I spoke in relation to the fact that sometimes we are prone to wander. Uh, we need that reminder. We need the word of God uh, to, to to be living and active and pulling us back. Uh, keeping us from going where we should not. And see, we can rightly discern by proper examination and by wisdom that is from above. And that's what we learned from James uh, as we, we took a look at that entire book. And so as we think about living in this world, as we think about taking and looking at not only how we are living, but also how people are living around us, That God can give us the ability to examine each and every individual, each and every relationship, each and every situation, and give us his timeless eternal word as a reminder of how we should engage it, how we should address it, what we should do in relation to it. And so we need to be able to discern what is right. We need to be able to judge a situation so that we can know how to respond to it. In a way that is biblical and a way that honors God. So with that as uh, an example here as we think about discerning and the importance of us discerning what is right, let's take and uh, turn back um, to Matthew, but to Matthew chapter 26. Because I want to give you an example of unjust judgment. uh, As we have an example right here with uh, Jesus uh, and uh, his disciples. And we'll see how Jesus responds to this and because I think there's a lesson that we can learn from it. Matthew chapter 26, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 6. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined uh, at the table. And when disciples saw it, They were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right, so just a couple of things as we, we considered this. Um, we can actually wrongly discern or misexamine a thing or a situation when we come at it from a worldly perspective. Standpoint. Now, as you, you take a look at this and you look at uh, the disciples, there's something here that is taking place because only God knows our hearts and why we do what we do. And we, we spoke to that um, last time. And you'll notice here that they say, Why the waste? For it could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. So what the disciples had put forth there is not a bad thing. Because, you know what, they're absolutely right. It could have been sold for a large sum of money, and that money had been given to the poor. But the problem was is they started to ascertain and see this only from a financial standpoint, only from the standpoint of seeing it as something that could benefit someone else when they didn't really know the full situation. And, and, and really, they hadn't you know begun to embrace everything in relation to Christ's death, Uh, They didn't quite understand that he wasn't going to be with them much longer. Uh, And matter of fact, they they didn't want it to even be the case for some of the disciples. But you'll notice the text says that they became indignant. Okay, They were greatly afflicted by the fact that this woman, in her capacity, her choice to do what she did, to do something very special for, for Jesus Christ, was something that they became afflicted over. And so how did they respond? They responded in such a way that showed their indignance toward what she had done. Why the waste? Why allow her to to waste this ointment, Lord? We could have used it for something much better. Okay? Well, Jesus knew exactly what she was doing. And it was for the, the most and the greatest thing it could ever be done for. Because her heart was right. And she did it out of love for Jesus Christ. And Jesus addressed their rash and judgmental response by saying, why do you trouble the woman? You know, why Why do you trouble her? And you'll notice that he he mentioned a few things. Because Jesus knew the importance of what she had done. And he says, she has done a beautiful thing. Well, wait a minute, why, why could the disciples see that she had done a beautiful thing? Well, that's because they didn't have all the knowledge that they needed to make a, a, and assess the situation as they should. They assessed it from a, a standpoint of, of, of their own indignance uh, as they responded to it. But Jesus saw it for what it truly was. She'd done something beautiful, something that would, uh, as she, he goes on to say, she has done this to prepare me for burial, See, Jesus saw exactly what she had done and understood exactly what she had done, even though the disciples who were in the same room, in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of this woman, could not see. And see, sometimes that's what happens when we ascertain a situation without all knowledge, when we jump to a conclusion or we jump to something that we think is the better thing, even though we don't have all the information to see that it's not the better thing. And Jesus goes on to even say that the, the, what she had done would also be told in memory of her. That she had done something beautiful, a beautiful thing. And see, that's why it's important for us, as we begin to to you know take those steps towards judging a situation or judging an individual, that we come at it from a solely biblical perspective, when we start to see things through God's eyes. Which brings us, you know, to our our verse number 2 here of Matthew chapter 7. Because I have to ask the question, by what standard? Verse 2 of uh, Matthew chapter 7 says, For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be uh, measured to you. Jesus was pointing out in relation to the religious leaders their hypocrisy and how they were treating other people because they were using a a mentality, uh, an evilness of heart to make themselves feel better about themselves by belittling and, uh, and looking down upon people. And the question we need to ask ourselves today as we take and engage not only our own personal lives, but as we engage to seek to judge and to discern what is right, what is holy, what is blameless, how we should respond to a situation, is are we hypocritical of the very standard we judge others by? And I've used this example before because, you know, as, as a pastor, you know, oftentimes it's, it's brought back to you that you need to practice what you preach. And the thing is, as I open up the Word of God together with you, I open it up as one who has taken time to study the Word of God. And a lot of times, the sermons that come out of this is out of a conviction of what God has already uh, began working or did work in my life as I studied the Word of God. So that I'm not being hypocritical, and I'm not just pointing things out to make, as it were, everybody else feel bad and myself good. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are right. We all need to be working uh, on ourselves in relation to applying the word of God. But as we take a look at you know, whether or not we're being hypocritical in the very standard that we judge others by, the thing that we need to remember about God is that God does not have a double standard. He is not going to uh, do something. He's not going to say something. He's not going to think something that is going to cause him to, to be divided in relation to what he says or what he does or what he thinks. Proverbs twenty twenty three says unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. See, sometimes we can have a double standard. Because in order to deflect from ourselves, we will look for those things that are wrong in someone else's life. And see, the, the unchristian, those, the, the unbelieving world does that very thing. Well, I'm not a very bad person. Actually, I'm a good person. Well, by what standard are they making that assessment? Because they're looking around at, at everyone else around them. And because they're not doing some of the things that they consider to be wrong... They have elevated themselves while at the same time looking down at all those who do things that they, they see or deem as worse than they are. And if we're not careful as we take and look at, at different situations, we can do the very same thing. But God never does that. And that's why he is the, the what I would consider our, our balanced judge. Because as you take and consider uh, the attributes of God... And guys, you're gonna to have to move my slide forward here. You you lock me out again. They're not listening. Here we go. <laughs> so uh, as we think about some of the attributes of God in the in, in the scriptures, think about how balanced God is. He's perfectly balanced. And we talk about his attributes, them all working together, that they they don't, they're not in conflict. One is not higher than the other. His love is not greater than his wrath. They all work together as one. And that's what makes it it, it perfect for him to be the judge and to be one that we can say as we take a look at the world scheme and as we look and see all kinds of injustices happening and wondering where is the justice in all of this, that we need to remember that God does not have a double standard. He is holding everyone to the same standard which is his holy, eternal law. And everyone will have to give an account to that. But just consider God for a moment as the balanced judge. He is just and righteous. He is merciful and gracious. He is loving and impartial. He is faithful and good. He is holy and long-suffering. He is wise and understanding. And these are just a few of his attributes in relation to who he is. But they all work together so that when, when God judges a situation, it's always done 100% completely, holy, just, righteous. Because he has all knowledge, all understanding, and he can ascertain the, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart to be able to know why people do what they do. To know, as Jesus did, what this woman who brought this, this alabaster uh, jar with you know, very expensive oil in it, why she did what she did and that she had done a beautiful thing. See, God, as we take a look at the scriptures and we consider our heavenly father, when we consider the Godhead, God is requiring of those who judge to be completely good and impartial like he is. Because when we are not, guess what? That perfectly balanced judge is going to hold us accountable for the times where we are like the religious leaders and maybe judge a situation out of hypocrisy and tell someone to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. Or we, we do it out of self-righteousness because we want to feel better and to justify our existence by belittling someone else. And according to this verse 2, God will measure us according to the same measure that we use for others. So again, there's that that just judge balancing out everything, doing everything with balance. And if we use this as our standard, God's not going to use another standard to judge us. He's going to use that very standard to judge us by. He's going to hold us accountable to what we do and what we say and how we do what we say. So think about this Can anyone except God Himself know and understand all the truths? all the conditions and all the intentions of any given situation. Now, somebody was brave enough to say no. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when we start thinking of it, you know, in relation to that, then it's, it, that's the caution. When it's time for us to judge a situation, for us to discern what is right and what is wrong, and to do so knowing that we need to step back and see this from God's perspective, not to respond out of emotion or to respond out of what the rest of the, the populace is doing in relation to something, but instead to step back from it and see it from God's perspective, the one who understands all the truths, all the conditions, and knows all the intentions of any given situation, why people do what they do. And that's the caution, not to keep us from judging at all, but to make sure that when we do, that we're doing it rightly. See, we often think the worst of people. Some people think the worst of themselves. We often pass judgment on someone's entire life based on one transgression. And we often do not give the benefit of the doubt in relation to someone's motives, why they do what they do. You know, the disciples, you know, did not even stop to think, well, wait a minute, maybe she's doing something that she wants to do because it's within her means to do so, but instead they they got indignant in relation to what she had done because they had did not even give her the benefit of the doubt in relation to why she did what she did. Instead, they they began to judge the situation right off and did so from a, a money standpoint, even though you may say, well, they were thinking of the poor. But the thing was is that they had passed judgment with not all the information. And that's why we have to constantly keep going back to the word of God to make sure that when we do respond, when we do judge, when we do discern that we are doing so rightly, judging rightly. Well, let me close this morning by sharing an illustration with you that I think hits this right right between the eyes. For us to to understand the importance of us stepping back and considering everything through God's eyes. At the turn of the century, the world's most distinguished astronomer was certain that there were canals on Mars. Sir Percival Lowell, esteemed for his study of the solar system, had a particular fascination with the red planet. When he heard in 1877 that an Italian astronomer had seen lions crisscrossing the Martian surface, Lowell spent the rest of his years squinting into the eyepiece of a giant telescope in Arizona, mapping the channels and canals he saw. He was convinced the canals were proof of intelligent life on Mars, possibly an older but wiser race than humanity. Lowell's observations gained wide acceptance. So eminent was he. None dared contradict him. Now, of course, things are different. Space probes have orbited Mars and landed on the surface. The entire planet has been mapped. And no one has seen a canal. How could Lowell have seen so much that wasn't there? Well, there's two possibilities. One, he was so, or he, he wanted to see canals. Uh, all right. He so wanted. Let me read it right. He so wanted to see canals that he did over and over again. We know, or well, and two, we know that he suffered from a rare eye disease that made him see the blood vessels in his own eyes. The Martian canals he saw were nothing more than the bulging veins of his eyeballs. Today, the um, uh, malady is known as Lowell's syndrome. Now, when Jesus warns that in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and warns of seeing the speck of sawdust in another's eye while missing the plank in our own, could he not be referring to the spiritual equivalent of Lowell's syndrome? Over and over we see the faults in others because we don't want to believe anything better about them. And so often we think we have a first-hand view of their shortcomings when in fact our vision is distorted by our own disease. And I think that's a, a beautiful picture of us, you know, making sure that we're not seeing something that's not there. Because we're looking at it through a lens that is clouding our judgment. Because that lens is is motivated by our emotions or motivated by misinformation or motivated by our own desire to feel good about ourselves. And so, therefore, we, we push others down. We stomp on them. And so, as we think about judging rightly, which we should judge, and we should judge rightly, that we make sure that we see things through God's lens, Because God's eternal word will never give us a false picture of how things are. Now, we may not like what God's word has to say, which many have very much so uh, decided that certain parts of the word of God are not applicable because it's old and, and therefore no longer applicable to our current culture which is just a way of taking and looking through life through a lens that has nothing to do with truly and ultimately who we are as those who stand before the judge, the lawgiver, who will keep us accountable for every misspoken word, every wrong thought, every angry deed. And so, therefore, as we engage the world, which we, we need to engage, the world needs to see Christians that are living as Christians in a non-Christian culture. You need to assess where things are to decide whether or not you're going to join in or not join in because of what a particular group or movement or, or idealism may stand for that is contrary to the word of God. So each and every day, whether you realize it or not, you are discerning things from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed at night. And a lot of those only pertain to yourself. And sometimes you wrongly discern. And what we always need to do is we always need to go back to the Word of God. We need to let the Word of God be our standard, not only for us personally, but also as we engage the world around us. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we we thank you for this text this morning. Uh, We thank you that you are our balanced judge, that you are just and righteous and merciful and gracious, loving and impartial, faithful and good, holy and longsuffering, wise and understanding. Lord, we need to see things as you see things. We need to be those that do not do what is right in our own eyes, but instead do what is right in your eyes. That we would live and understand the importance of reflecting your son, Jesus Christ, to be that salt and light in a godless generation. Not only in our country, but even around the world. Because there's going to be those that are consistently going to suppress the truth about who you are. They're not going to see you as... God, They're not going to see you as the judge. They're not going to see you as the lawgiver. But, but just because they don't see that does not make it not true. You are the God, the judge, the lawgiver. And we ask that you would give us through your Holy Spirit the ability to rightly discern, to rightly judge. Not only who we are before you but also as we, uh, to the very best of our abilities through your power, be able to engage the, the world in which we live in a way that honors and glorifies you. It is not stemming out of just us. Lord, we thank you uh, once again for the, the privilege of living in this great country, the United States of America. And Lord, may you shed your grace on us a little bit more. Even though uh many have turned their back on you, Lord, there are those that as uh, Elijah needed to be encouraged that have not bowed their knee to Baal. There are many in our country that have not bailed or not have not bowed their knee uh, to someone else. But instead fear you and honor you and worship you and give you all the glory each and every day. And may that be what characterizes our church family here. May Ellington Baptist Church be the church that knows God and lives for God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.